Hello and welcome to Point Cast. In studio today we have Mr. Michael Fitzgerald. We're so happy to have you come and join us. Uh, he is another voter and he will be telling us about some things that are close to his heart and things that are important to him in his own words today. But before we get started, Michael, if you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about you. Well, I've, um, I've worked for a nonprofit uh, membership associations for most of my career. And um, one of the major benefits of those, of working for those kinds of organizations, uh, has been that um, I've been able to help folks who make a difference in society. Mm -hmm. I worked for physicians, for physician associations for a number of years. And when you think about what physicians do, uh -huh. they save lives, they heal people, mm -hmm. and, and when folks are dying, they make it as comfortable as possible for them. And to the degree that you can help a physician do things that he or she can't do for themselves because they're, um, it's not what they do, mm -hmm. um, you feel like you get to share a small share of the societal good that they do. Mm -hmm. So if you can free up a physician by doing some some things that, w that normally they would not do, mm -hmm. um, you give them more time to be with patients and more time to make a difference there. And, and you get to get a little piece of that societal good for yourself. Mm -hmm. And how long did you say, or I'm not sure if you said or not, how long did you do that type of work? Well, I started working for uh, a medical so association uh, back in 1980 mm -hmm. uh, and uh, worked for those associations for about 35 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So you had a long time invested in that type of work. And you no longer do that work now? Uh, no, not currently. Currently, I'm in what they call in transition, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> looking for, for a new position. Mm -hmm. uh, preferably looking for something at a, another association. And what's that experience been like for you? We hear a lot of talk about the low unemployment rates and how seemingly we're almost to the point of 100% employment. Uh, how, how does that feel to you? Is it, is it feeling like it's, it's easy for you to get back out there and find something? Well, I think what you, you got to keep in mind, too, is there are a couple different unemployment rates. Hmm. Uh, there's the U3 rate, which all the politicians uh, like to quote because it's the lowest rate. Um, and you know what that consists of? That consists of people who are on, on unemployment right now, or actually getting unemployment payments. Hmm. The, okay. moment, the moment you stop getting those unemployment payments, once you're past your 26 weeks in the state of Indiana, for example, mm -hmm. you're no longer considered unemployed under the U2, U3 numbers. Whether you have a job or not? Right. Wow. So there are other numbers, U5 and U6, that take into account those people who are currently not, not receiving any um, unemployment uh, payments, mm -hmm. uh, as well as people who are un, uh, unemployed and uh, who have dropped out of the market in the sense of saying they've just given up. Mm -hmm. You know, they took, they spent a year, they couldn't find a job, they just decided I'm forget it, I'll just retire, mm -hmm. um, or those folks who um, are considered to be underemployed. Mm, so yeah. the U6 numbers are more reflective of what really is going on in the economy. Um, they've improved, too. I mean, I think they're at like 7% right now, but okay. they're not, until you really look at the U6 numbers, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's really where the issue is. Well, when you say that the U6 numbers are at about 7% for the average person, what is that? What is that really? What's the story behind those that number? 
Well, um, you know, it's a, again, it's a lot of things. Um, for those folks in my age group, um, it usually means somebody's, you know, somebody's tried for a while and, and, and has decided to drop out of looking for a job uh -huh. um, just because they haven't been able to find anything. Uh -huh. I belong to uh, about three different uh, job networking groups. Uh -huh. And um, what you see in these groups is a lot of folks who are 40 years or older. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, these are folks who've had pretty decent careers mm -hmm. most of their life, but mm -hmm. they've been downsized for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And they find it really hard to get back into the, into the workforce mm -hmm. um, because of different kinds of um, age discrimination really? that take place. Really? Really? And age discrimination is, can be blatant. It could be, I'm just not gonna hire someone who's that old, mm -hmm. um, but it's more like uh, example. You know, uh, other ways of age discrimination is you look at somebody and say, "Well, I can't afford them." Oh, the old you! You are beyond our price range or right. salary. Even range. though, even though the person may have indicated they're willing to work at that, right? Um, right. If I hire that person, they're not going to be there here this long. Mm. You know, they're going to leave pretty quickly mm -hmm. uh, because they. Um, you know, they're going to find something better. Well, how do you how do you battle against age discrimination, though? I mean, what what possible defenses or what could be done to better support professionals, people out there who have been working, who have experience? Uh, is it are are we getting to the point where people are aging out of the workforce? The feeling in the workforce that I get is uh -huh. that it's what's what's important is not what your experience is, but what your what you have accomplished in mm -hmm. your career, and mm -hmm. that's that's fair. Mm -hmm. um, but um, very often, some of the older folks have accomplished a lot, a great deal, right. and that's and that's uh, not uh, it's just dis it's discounted. Okay, okay? Mm -hmm. so so you run across things like uh, well, they're not as technologically savvy as some of the younger folks. Mm -hmm. Well, who created the technology that the younger folks are using now? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, and and um, so so there's a various various different um, different ways in which folks are being told you should basically retire. Wow. So how are have in, in your transition season? How have you dealt with the discrimination or age discrimination that you have personally encountered? Well, you know, I think one of the things that it's been a little eye-opening in the sense that I'm looking at this kind of discrimination at the end of my career, and then you think about the discrimination other people have experienced throughout their entire career. Wow. wow. You know, mm -hmm. you, you start thinking, well, look at the kind of discrimination women have experienced throughout their career where they've been paid less than men and right. haven't right. gotten as many... Um, uh, the same kind of opportunities that mm -hmm. men have, mm -hmm. or people of color in terms of how they've been discriminated at throughout their, their entire career. Right. And right. it's a little, when you, when I want to go and complain about it, mm -hmm. I think about how other people have had it had to deal with those kinds of issues throughout their entire lives. Right, right. And, and how that is something that should have melted away in the last few generations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... Nowadays, it almost seems like it's getting worse. Right, right. What do you think are some of the drivers that are that are making it worse? Well, just the the attitude of um, there's a lot of effort on our politicians today to basically rip us apart. 
to look at what our various, uh, to, to focus in on what's important for us as an individual and say, hey, let's get that for you and we don't care what we do to anybody else to get it for you. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, effort to, to uh, create disharmony mm-hmm. and take advantage of it mm-hmm. um, as opposed to looking for ways to level the playing field. Racial discrimination shouldn't exist in this age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is a, a really small example and it's not um, in any way really representative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but when my parents were growing up, um, there was a lot of prejudice between just European nations right. who were here, okay? Right. The Italians and the Irish didn't get yes. along together. The Polish and the Germans didn't go together. And all, right. nobody got together, right. uh, got along very well together. Mm-hmm. In my parents' generation, they all intermarried. Mm-hmm. And all that kind of prejudice disappeared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The next step should have been all the racial prejudice that's out there, it should have disappeared as the next generation, and it didn't. And that's, I think, the one of the biggest disappointments mm-hmm. of my generation um, is that didn't disappear. And it seems to be now sort of on an uptick, and politicians seem to be taking advantage of that. All right. Speaking of racial discrimination and the fact that it, it hasn't died the way we, we all had hoped that it would, or many of us hoped that it would, um, there's been a lot of talk about racism and people protesting, particularly athletes at NFL games, taking a knee or not pledging allegiance or not standing in some way, really to draw attention to some social justice issues, racial discrimination. I think it really, to to be honest, to the core of the issue was really related to a lot of police action shootings involving um, black um, suspects. Uh, that just happened and, you know, people are still trying to figure out what happened. But back to the point of people recognizing that this is still with us and are just frustrated and trying to protest wherever they are to call attention to the fact that this is something that hasn't changed, that we want to change. Taking a knee at the football games, even President Trump has spoken out against it. How do you personally feel about people taking moments like that in the public sphere to draw attention to some of the very things that we were talking about? That doesn't trouble me at all. I think it's patriotic. I think you're saying this nation stands for certain issues and we're not meeting those issues right now. Uh-huh. This is a place where we could improve uh-huh. and it's a it's a dire problem and I want to take a stand against that. And the reason I say that goes back to um, the fact that I know the story of a, uh, a civil rights leader by the name of Dr. William Anderson the uh-huh. first. Um, Dr. Anderson was an osteopathic physician, which meant he was practicing in a minority profession to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, he was from Georgia, and at the beginning of his medical career, he became the leader of the Albany movement in Georgia. And in the process, he actually helped change the direction of the civil rights movement um, by accident, actually. Uh, but it was because of his... his um, ferocious devotion to trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. One of the things he did, and, and it sort of relates to the, the knee issue, mm-hmm. is he drank out of a whites-only fountain once. Wow. 
he uh, he found himself um, going to court over that. He found himself uh, being convicted of a felony because of that. And um, it happened at a time when this, a very similar suit was being placed against um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And the Bobby Kennedy's people, when Bobby Kennedy was a uh, um, uh, state's attorney, mm -hmm. they came to him and said, look, we don't want to, we don't want the publicity from these two trials to pull away from each other. We want the, tr the publicity to focus in on King's trial. Mm -hmm. So we want you to plead guilty and we will make sure you don't serve a sentence. He, he went along with that. Wow. He pled guilty. Mm -hmm. He was convicted to 20 years in, of hard labor. And between the time he was told that and a few seconds later when he told him that his, he was told that his sentence was commuted, mm -hmm. he felt his whole world disappear on him. Mm -hmm. um, this, is some, this is a man I got to meet while I was working uh, for osteopathic physicians in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And every story I heard about this man drove home the fact that what he was doing during the civil rights movement, what everyone else was doing in the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. was patriotic. It was saying this country's not living up to its its principles. Mm -hmm. And so taking a knee at a football game is, is, is minor mm -hmm. compared to going to, uh, putting on trial mm -hmm. for drinking out of a whites only fountain. Mm -hmm. But it's the same concept. It's saying, hey, there's a problem Right. We're going to bring notice to it. Mm -hmm. um, and then you tie into the whole issue of the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. I, th I, think, I think it was patriotic to do what they did to take a knee because they were saying, here's a problem, let's look at it, let's solve it. Mm -hmm. And that, therein lies a lot of confusion about the First Amendment and people expressing themselves there, even to the point where some folks, like I said, including our president, was was calling for anyone who took a knee to be fired, um, because I don't know. It, it, I think that they thought it misrepresented or disrespected veterans, right? So, for some people, they're looking through a different lens at this issue. They think it's a disrespectful to the veterans, but you even have some veterans saying, "Yeah, I fought so that people can have the right." to express themselves in this way. Um, is it just that we just don't know enough about the First Amendment, and, uh, or do we just not care? Mm, that's a good question. Um, a lot of the work I've done in my life has been related to journalism, and the First Amendment is so incredibly important to this country. Mm -hmm. um, and to, uh, it, it is so important that we're able to um, get the word out, to share our opinions, mm -hmm. that there's a marketplace of ideas, mm -hmm. um, that you can, you can discuss what you believe in a free way, even if mo the majority of the people don't believe in it. Mm -hmm. um, that's, what make, you know, that's what makes this nation great, is, mm -hmm. is that First Amendment is one of the major reasons why we're a great country. Mm -hmm. um, and we can't just look at it and say, well, you disagree with me, so your First Amendment rights should be taken away. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and you know, only those people who agree with me should have First Amendment rights, right, because right, right. that's not gonna work very long. Right, right. Um, well, there are some who think that there are limits to free speech, 
right? Uh, particularly, and, and some may agree or disagree, that some people think that if you're inciting violence, mm-hmm. um, or if you're inciting hate, um, some of them, you know, take a, a even take it even farther to uh, speak against the country outside of the country and mm-hmm. in foreign uh, spheres. Um, so there are some people who believe that there are limits, and then there are others who believe that that's not the spirit of the First Amendment. That it was meant to uh, make sure that the people still had a voice and were not going to be oppressed under imperial rule. So it's interesting to have this back and forth, and it'll be interesting to see how this lands. But for right now, I guess there are some, including yourself, who support um, what the athletes are doing. I don't know if they're going to continue to do this. But with this, when you go to a game, what do you do? When I go to a game? Yes. <laughs> I go to a game so un- infrequently that I don't remember <laughs> what I do. Somebody has to remind me to take off my hat because I haven't gone in a while. I have never been at a game where somebody's taken a knee, mm-hmm. but it certainly wouldn't trouble me. I certainly wouldn't boo somebody for doing it. I would applaud them for, doing, you know, t- mm-hmm. for taking mm-hmm. a knee for a, a social issue mm-hmm. that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Changing gears a little bit, um, I want to talk a little bit about going back to what you were discussing about unemployment. Mm-hmm. And we talked about some of the things and discrimination that people are dealing with um, that may impede their ability to find the types of jobs they're looking for. Um, but then that will cause people to take uh, transitional jobs or bridge jobs mm-hmm. or what have you. Um do from your knowledge do those jobs that people take in the meantime get counted in the applause for the low unemployment rate so you're right when you go and take a job like that you're no longer considered to be unemployed mm-hmm. um, you could be considered to be underemployed mm-hmm. and covered under either u5 or u6 mm-hmm. of the unemployment rate mm-hmm. um, but how does somebody? How does the government know that you, in your mind, mm-hmm. feel like you're unemployed? Well, you know, I guess so. what I mean there is really underemployment. Underemployed, right? Right, right because right. sometimes those jobs may or may not have benefits. Uh, they may be far outside of the salary range that would be livable for mm-hmm. you or that you're right. used to. Right. Um, you may still need to depend on other programs uh, such as SNAP benefits to uh, provide for your family if you're not making too much. Um, and so I just, when people have to rely still on services like that, just wondering if that still is considered employed, gainfully employed. My understanding is that it is considered to be gain, gainfully employed, even though it's not covering all of your needs. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You've got a job, you're employed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the uh, I've had an opportunity to to work a co- at a couple of call centers, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. and um, as the networking groups encourage you to take these kinds of bridge jobs. Um, the benefit is is that you slow the uh, the bleeding on your savings mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. But what's really eye opening mm-hmm. is when you're looking at folks who are relying on these jobs for everything that right. they have. Wow. You know, and you you think to yourself, 
because because they're starting out in life because they had you know they had uh, uh, their various responsibilities they have no savings to look at so this is what they're totally dependent upon in that job um, and you work with folks like this and and your thoughts are how do they make it mm-hmm. with 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 this kind of pay with what the responsibilities they've had I've seen I've seen um, young mothers, mm-hmm. um, uh, unwed mothers, try to make it on, on very small salaries. Um, I've seen folks who haven't had the money to pay for gas to get to work, who've had to take buses. And you know how the bus system is in Indianapolis. You can't probably get anywhere if you don't spend an hour, hour and a half to get there. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you just see this and you think, my God, this is not... This is not full employment. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to find ways to get folks jobs where they can be gainfully employed um, and take care of their families. And what would gainfully employed mean? Like, I hear all the time, I, I just heard again today, the celebratory news about low unemployment and how it's how unemployment rates are plummeting and will be close to 100% employment. But then you share these stories with me. I'm not sure how to balance both. Right. You know, so you have a job, so you're, un- so you're employed. You're right. no longer unemployed. But that right. job may not be rewarding to you. It may not be particularly well-paying. Um, and it might not be able to meet the needs that you have for, for, for your family. And, you know, the other thing is, if you're making, just making ends meet, mm-hmm. you're not likely to make waves where you're working, okay? Mm-hmm. If something's wrong, you may just keep your mouth shut because you need that job. And I've sort of wow. seen that. Wow, and that has a greater impact now, doesn't it? Right, because, I mean, what was wrong continues to go wrong. Um, and and the person who was doing what was wrong might not have, might have changed their ways if somebody had said something to them and said, hey, you know, that's not the right way to do things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not have. Mm-hmm. But they might have changed their ways if you had that opportunity to say that to them. But there's that fear that uh, you rock the boat, you can, you might lose your job. And if you need that job that bad, yeah. you're not going to rock the boat. You know, that, that reminds me of recent stories about harassment claims increasing in Indiana, uh, particularly even with the state Indiana jobs. Right. Um, and uh, people f- fearful um, in how they share those claims and even feeling like they're not getting, not everyone is feeling comfortable yet uh, sharing that information and where it goes from there. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to confront employees uh, for yourself or for others? Never, I've never been in a situation related to sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've debated what would be the best approach to be supportive in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never actually faced the situation myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, it's something that I find horrifying. And surely quite difficult for the people who are going through it. And exactly. So if people are going yes. through it, then there are people who may be witnessing this, but just right. don't feel like they... Are in a position to do anything, and and when you see the percentages, here here the percentages. I have to think, 
where am I missing this? Mm -hmm. Okay, where, you know, it ha has it been around me and I haven't seen it? Mm -hmm. uh, and if so, did I somehow not live up to my responsibility in that situation? And, and, and it was because I was oblivious to a particular situation. And these are lessons that you're now getting now that you're in this season yeah. <laughs> of transition. transition. Seeing all of this, what do you think then someone in your position should do now that you have had this exposure that is now your own, mm -hmm. uh, not third hand or what have, but you are witnessing this yourself, you're experiencing being in this season yourself. What then can you do with this knowledge? that can be beneficial? You know, that's a, that's a really good question because a lot of what I've been saying to myself was, well, once I get another job, I'll be more aware of this and I'll be more sensitive to this. Um, the bigger question is, what if I don't ever get another job? What am I going to do to try to make a difference right. with stuff like this? Mm -hmm. I'd probably dip my toe in it a little bit by writing a couple of... Uh, uh, a couple of blogs mm -hmm. related to, uh, mm -hmm. uh, or, or posts, made in a, in a couple of posts related to uh, mm -hmm. age discrimination, for example. Mm -hmm. But what what am I going to do that was going to be substantial if, if I never find a place where I'm in a position where I can make that, you know, in, in the workplace, make that kind of difference? How do I make the difference uh, elsewise? That's a, that's a big question I've been tossing around. Right, right. What do you think uh, the responsibility of legislators would be based on some of the issues that you've raised today. You know, we have an election coming up next year. And um, a lot of these things are, are, are things that they have talked about or bantered back and forth about. Do you think that they have any direct responsibility? I think they have a responsibility to stop sugarcoating things, mm -hmm. uh, twisting things. To, to their own benefit, I think they need to look at the, the raw truth mm -hmm. and begin to have a, um, a productive conversation. And what's the raw truth that they can't seem to uh, you know, it, it, look it's at? It so much seems like the whole issue is how do I get elected in two years? How do I, you know, or if you're a senator, how do I get elected in six years? Or president, how do I get elected in the next four years? That's the focus, and it's not on governing and looking at looking at, you know, going out, talking to people, mm -hmm. getting to know them. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've been to, I've had the, in my career, I had the honor of going a few times to Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, for my job. Mm -hmm. And when you, when, when you meet the members of Congress in person, they're very personable. They're very much interested. They'll, they'll sit and they'll talk to their constituents to find out what's interesting to them, what's important to them. Mm -hmm. Um, you've got that persona, mm -hmm. you know, I, 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 where, where they're, they are very interested in what their constituents say. And then you feel like when they go out and act mm -hmm. on that, mm -hmm. they're not acting on what they're hearing. So you don't think your concerns made the agenda? <laughs> I guess. Right, right. It, you may have made the meeting, but getting on the agenda sounds to be a different Well, I think, I think what's happening is you certainly get the sense that for many members of, of um, Congress, mm -hmm. it's about getting reelected, mm -hmm. not about making a difference during the time that you're there. So is there anything that can really be done? I mean, if people, you know, this is a very powerful country, and mm -hmm. it's going to attract people, I'm sure, who want power. 
and influence. Right. Right. Um, but we hope that in the mix we get um, people who um, want to do good things right. for constituents. Um, in in our remaining minute or so, give me like a profile of the type of person that you think would be the best type of person to carry some of the issues that you've raised today. Well, I think I think that would be politicians who are not concerned about how they fit in with their party when they see something that they disagree with that their party's doing to voice that and say, you know, I don't I don't believe in that. I think that's wrong and I think this is the direction we should go. I think there needs to be more more courage in taking st stands that may not be what the rest of your party wants to do or you feel that the uh, stands that are you need to take as a as a uh, legislator mm -hmm. that maybe your base doesn't agree with mm -hmm. but you know are right mm -hmm. or you feel that's right mm -hmm. um, and explaining that explaining that honestly where you're coming from and why you're going that way not because you're looking I, I agree with this because this will get me elected in two years mm -hmm. but I agree with this because I agree with this mm -hmm. and I think it needs to be done and I think my leader is wrong in saying we should go in this other direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you need to be able to stand up and, 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 and say where you really think things should go and get engaged in a give and take conversation. Be willing to compromise again. Uh, that's how this, you know, that's how the government was set up in the first place, so that no, no particular interest group would have full control of what was going on with the government, um, and that there would be give and take. Right. Be willing to do that again instead of saying it's got to be my way or the highway. Well, for 2020, we certainly hope that we have some courageous people running and who will be elected. I want to thank you so much for coming in studio and sharing these issues that matter to you. I really appreciate you sharing your voice with us. And I really thank those who are listening uh, to this podcast for listening. And and stay tuned for more podcasts to come. Thank you so much again, Michael. We appreciate it. Well, thank you. It was an honor to be asked. 